the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Have you ever wondered just exactly what roles and responsibilities of pastors, elders, deacons are all about? Well, stick around. We've got some answers for you. Coming up next, here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Take a look at 10 different churches and you'll probably come up with 10 different understandings of church government and leadership and how they are to be led and what it all looks like. But factually speaking, the Bible brings us a clear definition of what church is to look like, leadership-wise anyway. Elders, deacons, and their wives. That is the title of our message today here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Welcome to our program. Pastor Gary continues his journey through 1 Timothy, and today we turn to chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, as we take a look at the construct that God himself has laid out for the church. Here's Pastor Gary now with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Elders, deacons, and their wives. Remember that Timothy was a young minister and Paul the older apostle who was training him how to plant churches, how to regulate the worship service, how to organize the church, what offices to have. And because he, as an apostle, was the mouthpiece of Christ, this is not just an apostle talking to Timothy, giving him his own advice on how to build a church there in Ephesus. This is the Lord Jesus Christ himself instructing his church through Paul down through the centuries on how to organize themselves. In other words, this is not simply some obsolete suggestion. This is Jesus Christ saying to his church in every age, I want you to have elders and I want you to have deacons And here is what I want them to look like. After having said that, do you realize that most churches in the world today don't have the office of elder? Even though Jesus said to do it, and even though in order to maintain the purity and strength of the church, there must be elders and deacons if you are going to have well-being as a church, but most churches today do not have the office of elder or deacon. I've been doing a little informal study on the comparison and contrast between the doctrines and the practices of Roman Catholicism and Eastern Orthodox Orthodoxy, and I've been reading some testimonies of Protestants who have left Protestantism to join the Eastern Orthodox Church, like Francis Schaeffer's son, 
Frankie Schaefer, and there have been many others. Because it's interesting to me why they left Protestantism to go to Roman Catholicism or Eastern Orthodoxy. And actually, most of them have two reasons. One, because of the emotional impact upon them of the ascetics of either of these two religions, such as the beautiful liturgy, the beautiful music, the beautiful architecture, the beautiful paintings, the beautiful robes that they wear. So for most people I know who left Protestantism, particularly for Eastern Orthodoxy, it has been simply an emotional thing. But there is a second thing they believe, and that is they believe what the Roman Catholic and Orthodox churches acclaim for themselves wrongly, and that is they each claim they are the oldest church in the world. And therefore, if you want to join the original church and the oldest church, and not be involved in all the fragmentation and confusion you see in the 20,000 denominations of Protestantism in the 21st century, come back to the old original church, Eastern Orthodoxy or Roman Catholicism. Now, what do they mean when they say that? They say, well, we've been doing the same thing ever since the early church days. We have the same offices, the same government, the same liturgy. And John Chrysostom was the one who wrote our liturgy, some of these people actually say. We go all the way back to the early church. And technically, they're right. They go back to the early church but do you know what the early church was? It was the first two to three hundred years after the book of Acts. So they don't go back far enough. They don't go back to the apostolic church. You read the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament, and it doesn't say anything about a pope or an archbishop or cardinals or metropolitans or patriarchalism. Those came later, but the New Testament does speak of elders and deacons. In fact, did you know there were elders all the way back in the Old Testament church? All the way back to the book of Leviticus, at least the book of Leviticus. So guess what? The oldest church in the world is the Presbyterian church. Now, I'm not referring to any one particular denomination, of course. The word Presbyterian comes from the Greek word presbyteros, which means a church governed by elders elected by the people. So throughout the history of God's church, in the Old and New Testament, there have been elders to share in the government of the church under the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ. No popes, no patriarchs, no cardinals, no archbishops. Those came a few hundred years later at the point when the church was going downhill. In fact, from the early church, men are called the early church fathers. 
But I have an article that calls them the early church infants. And they say that because no sooner had the last apostle died, whom they were used to learning from, than preachers who were left to themselves with no apostles started changing things up. And they didn't explain the apostolic doctrine. They just simply quoted it. They didn't go any further in their explanation. So as a result, the early church, early two, three hundred, four years, started drastically going downhill. So we're going to talk today about the two offices Jesus set up in the church. If a church is going to be strong and healthy and mature, it must have elders and deacons. The church, most people think today, is simply a big institution with a board of directors. But the church is a kingdom with a living, present king who is not distant. And though he is sitting at the right hand of God, he is present in the church every day of its existence by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Paul directs young Timothy and he says to him in verse 1 of chapter 3, this is a trustworthy statement. Now there are a few times when that phrase is used. For instance, look at verse 15 of chapter 1. It says, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners in whom I am the foremost of all. And now he says it again. Here is a, another trustworthy statement that everyone should believe and practice. Why? Well, Paul is saying because I'm not the one who thought this up. I no more thought up elders and deacons and their offices than I thought up the gospel by which I was saved that I spoke of in 1 Timothy 1.15. So this is worthy of all acceptance. It is trustworthy. Every church should have elders and deacons that look like these elders and deacons. So he gives us the qualifications for elders and deacons. Now, the King James Version says, this is a true statement if any man desires the office of bishop. Some people say, aha, there it is. They have bishops in the New Testament, so, so much for you, Protestants. Well, the word bishop means overseer. It means shepherd, manager. And the Greek word is where we get the word episcopal. But all elders were bishops, and all bishops were elders. They did have the office of bishop. They did not have the office of, of bishop that was over the elders and, of course, everyone else in the church. All elders and preachers had the same authority, and they were called bishops or overseers to distinguish what their function and mission would be. For instance, I'd like you to look at Titus and notice how the words bishop and elder are used interchangeably. Look at verse 5 of chapter 1 of Titus. It says, 
For this reason, and this is Paul speaking, I left you, Titus, in Crete, that you might set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you, namely, if any man be above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, for the overseer. I want you to appoint elders that look like this, Titus, because this is how the overseer should live. So you see he is interchanging the words elder, overseer, or bishop, meaning all elders are bishops and all bishops are elders. There is no hierarchy in the Christian church except Christ being the head. Now turn to Acts chapter 20, verse 17. And from Miletus, he, that is Paul, sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. So here he is gathering all the elders around for one last word with them. And he says in verse 17 and following to the elders, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on your guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you bishops or overseers or elders to shepherd the church of God like a shepherd would shepherd his flock. And you take good care of this church and you shepherd it and you manage it and you govern it because it wasn't purchased with your blood elders, and it doesn't belong to you, this church was purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ, who is God himself, so take care of this flock, stand guard over it, be a good shepherd to them, elders. So you see here we have at least two places where the words elder and bishop are used interchangeably. There never was in the apostolic church, the New Testament church, an office of a bishop that was over all the other elders and preachers. There just never was, beloved. All elders are bishops and all bishops are elders. Elder is used to point out the maturity of the church officer. And the word bishop or overseer is used to point out his function, his purpose, that elders are to guard their flock. They are to shepherd it. They are to feed it. They are to protect it. They are the governors of the church. Now, there are two kinds of elders. There are ruling elders and there are preaching ruling elders. And one is not over the other. There is a very destructive view today that says all elders are exactly the same. That there is no distinction whatever between elders. Therefore, there is no such office as a minister of the word of God. There's no such office as a preacher of the gospel. That all elders are preachers. All elders are ministers. And there is absolutely no distinction whatsoever between them. Well, there is an equality between them in that they all have one vote 
in the governing of the church. But they don't all function the same. All elders rule, but not all elders preach. And God has made a distinction between these elders. Those whom he identifies as preaching elders are those not who are smarter or godlier than the other elders, but have been distinguished by God, giving them the gift to preach. That's the only difference between the two. Now, let me show you that there is such a distinction. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Now, all elders rule, and if they rule well, honor them, but especially those elders who are preachers and teachers. So you see, an elder can rule well and not preach, unless, of course, he has definitely been called to preach, and then he will feel compelled to preach. He will feel he must preach. So here in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, you have a clear distinction between preaching elders and ruling elders. But, and this is important, not one is over the other. I do not rule over Matthew or Ben. We are equal in this church. There is no hierarchy in this church. We have one king, and everyone else is his servant. But we do have distinction of function among elders. Those whom God has given the gift to preach are to herald the gospel, powerfully and passionately. Whereas all elders are to rule and govern the church. Now, history doesn't make these distinctions. And neither does it does this come from the church. It was Christ in his word as the head of the church who made these distinctions and set up these offices. And he says, here are the qualifications for a man if he is going to be an elder. Chapter 3, verse 1. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer or Elder, it is a finer, fine work he desires to do. Now, make sure you read that verse carefully. One of the requirements of an elder is to aspire to the office and desire to do the work. It's not an aspiration for the fame of the office, as if there was really any such thing. It's not an aspiration or a desire for the glory and power represented in the office. But if God calls a man to be an elder, God gives him the aspiration and the desire to do the work of an elder. That's one of the reasons he is elected by the congregation. It is because he is doing the work of an elder before he is ever elected to the office of elder. People will look at him and say, this man should be an elder because he's already acting like an elder. He is already taking care of us, protecting us, teaching us, guarding us, shepherding us. 
So this isn't something forced upon someone. The first requirement is that this man truly desires the work of being an elder. The hard work, which unfortunately is sometimes thankless and many times controversial work and work for which he will most likely one day be persecuted. A man who will be a good elder is someone who says, I want it. I'm not concerned about fame or power. I simply want to be used by God to do the work. So then Jesus says, here is what that overseer must look like. He must be above reproach. Now, I certainly do not expect perfection from our elders, and I hope you don't either. In fact, I praise God every time I read 1 Timothy that nowhere does it say that the elder or deacon must be perfect. In fact, if it did, we would all be in a great deal of trouble. So perfection is not the requirement. In fact, what is expected of an elder, listen carefully, men, is the same thing demanded of any Christian man. This is not some standard that only elders are to be held to. All Christian men have a lower standard today. But every Christian man should resemble this description. But elders must resemble this description. And it says, you must be above reproach. That doesn't mean that there won't be people who don't disagree with you. It means when someone looks at your life, there is nothing that they can impeach you for, so to speak. They can have their suspicions and their assumptions, but there is really nothing in your life, no major thing that people can look at in the church and say, this guy is just a terrible excuse for an elder. He must be above reproach, and he must be the husband of one wife. Now, that has been, as some of these other things, misunderstood and misinterpreted. There have been some people who have said, since he is to be the husband of one wife, a divorced man may never be an elder. Well, if someone is biblically divorced, that is, because his wife was an adulteress or she abandoned him, that divorce is biblical. So he is no longer married to that guilty party. And so if he remarries, he is considered to have only one wife. There are other people who say this means an elder must be married because he's got to be the husband of one wife. Well, guess what? Guess who was an elder? Jesus. Guess who wasn't married? Jesus. So the point here is that if a man is going to be an elder and not married, he's got to have the maturity and wisdom of a godly married man. And that excludes a lot of Christian young people today. But there are such young men like Ben Loomis and Matt Taylor who are godly with all of the maturity and all of the wisdom of a married man. 
So if he is married, he must be faithful. We cannot demand more than what the Bible demands, and we cannot demand less. If a man is going to be an elder, he must show the fidelity of a husband, of a godly man, a mature man, temperate, prudent, self-controlled, not a slave to every passion and desire coming and going, respectable, that is, having dignity. And he must be hospitable. How important is that? Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408-866. 8665607. We thank you for joining us and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.